Consider this, 100% of owners will leave their business one day, but few are prepared. Are you? Don't worry, you're in the right place with this podcast, Succession Stories. Host Lori Barkman, the business transition Sherpa, guides you from transition to transaction, from building value in your business to letting go. Lori is a business transition and M&A advisor, specializing in growth, acquisitions, and selling owner-led companies. She's also the author of the Business Transition Handbook. Get your copy and learn how to avoid succession pitfalls and create valuable exit options. Sign up for a business transition newsletter at successionstories.com. Show us the love by subscribing to the show and posting a review. We appreciate you. Now, here's this week's Succession Stories with Lori Barkman. Welcome back to the Succession Stories podcast. If you're not already, please give me a follow on LinkedIn and Instagram at Lori Barkman. Be sure to subscribe. And if you listen to this podcast and enjoy it, do me a favor and leave a rating and review on Apple or Spotify. You can help spread the word by sharing with people who will enjoy the show as well. I'm thrilled to have a fantastic entrepreneur with me today, Ken Rusk, the founder of Rusk Industries. Ken turned ditch digging into a thriving enterprise. And we talked about the journey chronicled in his book, Blue Collar Cash. Ken is on a mission to redefine the narrative around blue collar jobs. Ken shares his thoughts about building a successful business and finding fulfillment with a thriving blue collar enterprise. Stay tuned for an inspiring conversation that might just shift your perspective on work, success, and the journey to building your dream life. This is Succession Stories, and I'm Lori Barkman. Let's dive in with Ken Rusk. Ken Rusk, welcome to Succession Stories. I'm excited to talk with you, your experience, and give our audience a glimpse into your world. So welcome. Oh, thanks. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Let's start out with you. How did you get started in your business? And tell us a little bit about Rusk Industries. Well, you know, I won't take real long, but I mean, it goes back to like when I was younger, when I was 12, 13 years old, I had to be out working, doing something. Paper routes. I worked at a bakery. I worked at a bowling alley. I did all kinds of things. And it's simply because I, I had four brothers in a very small house. And my, my, my father was like, you know, if you want to get things beyond what I'm providing for, you have to go out and find a way to do it. So a job meant earning some money, which means I could go have some of the independence that I wanted. So when I was 15, I started to get serious because I wanted to buy a used car and go out with, my, out with my buddies or take my girlfriend out for pizza, you know, the things that you did back then. So my high school actually shared a fence with an industrial park. And we cut through a hole in that fence after school and go hang out at the carryout, which is what, you know, people did back then because there weren't like shopping malls and stuff like that to any big degree near us. So, so yeah, we would do that. And I, I always remember going through these, these industrial parks and there was always lots of activity. There's, you know, people hustling and bustling around and, you know, things that, that young guys liked, you know, dump trucks and backhoes and all that kind of stuff. So I remember going to this one place and saying, what, you know, what do you guys do? And I knew somebody that had worked there and they said, well, we basically dig ditches. I mean, we're, we fix old rotten smelly basements. And I said, okay. I think I'm qualified to do that. So I got on with them and I dug ditches in the summertime. And then in the wintertime, when I was still in school, I would work at the front of the office in the marketing side. So what happened is quickly beyond that, I, I started to learn both sides of the business by doing that seasonally. And when I came to be 18, it was like a crossroads. Do I go to college? Do I continue with what I'm doing? 
And they came to me and they said, we want to open new franchises around the country. And you're very experienced. You've been here for you know four years now and you know the front and the back pretty well. Would you like to help us do that? So I literally lived out of a suitcase for the next three or four years, traveling around the Midwest, opening these businesses from scratch. Then I got tired of the, the travel thing and moved to Toledo, Ohio and started in 1986 with six people over my own company. And I think now we have almost 200. So it's been a heck of a ride. Wow, that's incredible. You didn't always know you wanted to be an entrepreneur. As you said, you got into the business just because of happenstance and then eventually found your way to being that person creating a business. And, and now, wow, it's a significant enterprise. Talk a little bit about that journey. What was it? What's it been like to go from zero to, to 200 people? Is it, you said 20 plus years, like 30 plus years at this point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah amazing how time flies. As you look back, what do you reflect on the most in that journey? Well, it, it's interesting because the word entrepreneur is is a vague term because like if I if I said, here's a piece of paper and a crayon, draw entrepreneur. I mean, you can't really draw anything. You know, it's kind of a it's kind of a means to another thing. Right? An entrepreneur at what? So for me, I always kind of knew what I wanted my life to look like. I mean, I there were things in my in my life that I, I knew that I wanted to have, the way I wanted to live, the way I wanted to to travel, the the hobbies I wanted to have, the family, that that whole thing. So I kind of knew that the more I could work with an entrepreneurial mindset, which in my mind is just a collection of characteristics, and, and I write about them in my book. I think we all have entrepreneurial characteristics within us. I really do. I just think they, they're, they're crying for a reason to come out. They need a reason to, to come out of us. And I think if you have a real cl crystal clear vision of what you want your life to look like, those things come out of you. And, and now you're chasing your own version of nirvana. I call it comfort, peace, and freedom. And when you know what that looks like, it, it's a little easier because you, you see it. So now you just have to walk towards it. And those other things that you surround yourself with, like, you know, other other team members and, you know, entrepreneurs that you need to surround yourself with to grow and in goals and goal setting and and celebration and accolades, all those things that you do, it kind of fuels that whole path towards getting to what you ultimately want. It's been quite a quite a learning lesson. But again, it, it's not I have no letters after my name. I never went to college. I have no formal training. So if I can do it, anyone can do it. <laughs> Let's talk about what it's taken. And you mentioned team. How did you build a team around you when you looked at your skills and the skills you needed in the company? As long as they had a reason to work here, that's all I required. If I knew that they were chasing something, if I knew there was something that they really wanted, and I mean crystal clearly wanted, then that was good enough for me. We could learn the skills. I mean, again, we were ditch diggers, so it wasn't like we were, you know, <laughs> we were architecting hundred-story buildings. Okay, but it was a it was a service that was needed because it's an unhealthy way to live if you have an old, damp, moldy, smelly basement. So, as long as I could surround myself with people that were chasing something, then I knew I would be okay because the people who are willing to tell you what their goals are and prove to you that they have a crystal clear path to getting them and commit to them and then share them. Those are the types of people that end up becoming the entrepreneurs that you want to surround yourself with, or I should say the entrepreneurs. Because, you know, I have 42 vehicles right now. 
that's a big risk. It's it's a lot of financial risk. It's a lot of, I mean, you know, the sleepless nights. I hope everything comes home safe every night and all that. Some people don't want to go that far, but they still want to feel like they want to run their own show. So that's where the word entrepreneur comes from. And to me, that's a very powerful mechanism because if you can surround yourself with a bunch of people that all want something for themselves first and for your business second, that's that's a pretty good force to, to reckon with as far as growth patterns go. Yeah, it's hard to find people who think like an owner. You know, a lot of people just want the paycheck. They want to just be told what to do. Others want to figure it out. They want to be problem solvers. They want to be entrepreneurial. They want to innovate. They want to figure out new opportunities and they want to grow. As you said, you started from scratch and now 200 employees. And I can only guess, you know, the millions of dollars of revenue that you're bringing in as a business, which is providing not only for your family, but for your, your stakeholders, your employees and third livelihoods in your community, which is really meaningful. So as you think about the growth path, what were some of the things that unlocked the growth? Was it all about ditch digging and being a subcontractor to larger providers where you kind of went all in on ditch digging? Or was there another thing in, as you look back on your growth pattern that enabled a step change? Well, I, I think it's this. So I had always shared with them the, the same premise that I do today. I can't get what I want, nor can my company get what it wants or needs until all of you get what you want and need first. And it's absolutely true. I mean, it's in any business, there's an input, there's work, and then there's an output, right? And then it starts all over again. So I was never one that if I lined all 200 people up in my parking lot and you looked at that group of people, I would not want anyone to pick me out as like the boss person, okay? I, I always believed that it was kind of a team thing. So in my case, I was I said, well, look it. So we're doing X amount of revenue right now with who we are. And I'm going to ask you, what do you think the company could do beyond that? And if we do that, I'm going to share some of that with you. So in other words, you're going to be in control of your own income going forward from this point forward. And I would only insist that you have several things that you're after. You're, you're going to fund your 401k. You're going to work on your future plans for what your life looks like in three, four, five different things that you're chasing six months, you know, 60 months, 10 years, 20 years, whatever, multiple things that you're doing at the same time. If you can set yourself up where you're in control of your life path, which is what I'm trying to do, then let's all get together and do that. And when those numbers happen, I'm going to share some of that newfound revenue, which doesn't cost me anything because it's newfound revenue. But the really, the really cool thing was the number I had in my head was lower than what they came up with. And that, that was an eye opener. And, and guess what? They went out and did it their first year. So, you know, to all the business owners out there, the first thing I would tell you is, and this is controversial, but try to become as irrelevant as you can to the, to the day to day business. Okay. If you're going to be a visionary, if you're going to be a driver, you can't have your hands on any specific things during the day that take you away from that. Offload those things to other people. They're probably better at it than you anyway. And allow them to work their departments and work their financials and work their effectiveness and their results because together they're going to drive that company way further than you can drive it yourself. That's such an important statement. I just want to pause on it and, and let it sink in for the audience. We talk about that theme a lot on this show, that if you are a business owner or you are owning a business, whichever way you like to say it, 
But a business owner who's very involved day to day and has a business that really needs them for problem solving, for service or product delivery, for anything, firefighting, that company may be less transferable, less desirable, attractive to an outside buyer or a third party who's who's interested in maybe acquiring it one day. And if we want to harness the value of everything we've been building, it is it is one of the first things that we look at anyway, when we're talking with business owners. So you've brought it up. It's super important. And I wanted to ask you because there's a lot of causes that you care about and, and you are spending time doing those things. I, I read about some Make-A-Wish. I don't know if you're still involved in Make-A-Wish. So I yeah. thought we could talk about that and how over time, Ken, you've been able to to follow your own words, as you've talked about goal setting and looking forward, you are spending your time outside of the business and, and in some ways benefiting, I'm sure, benefiting the business. But you've been spending time outside of the business with your book. How did you set a course for that? Well, I looked at it this way. I, I told the staff, I said, this company is a finite mechanism. It's, it's one company. So we all need to live off of this company, right? And so we either have a choice to grow this company as big as we can. And in some ways we were, it's a franchise, so we're landlocked by territory. So in, in some ways that restricted us a little bit, not a lot, because it's still a big company. But to get beyond that, I said to them, if you allow me to go out and find new opportunities that are line extensions of our current company, other construction companies, other construction investments, investments in distribution of products or whatever that that are in in line with what we do and not too outside the box. So we kind of stay in our lane a little bit. Then the less money I need to take from this place, the more is available for all of you. So you really want to kick me out of here and have me go prospecting for other opportunities so that I can grow the whole picture and we can grow the whole picture together. And I think that's really important. You know, th this whole thing with, with ownership and ego, it drives me crazy. I mean, if you're one of those owners that goes home and says, well, honey, whether it's your, your wife or your husband, and you say, well, oh, I fixed this and I repaired that and I yelled at this and I changed that and I, you know, I designed this and I set this in motion. I had a great day. I'm saying, no, you didn't have a great day because without you, none of those things would have happened. So it's it's tough. You got to really let go of that whole thing about, oh, I'm the owner, I'm the boss, I'm the whatever. And some people can't do that because they derive their personal value from those actions that they take. But I look at it like this. I would much rather talk about the opportunities that we made, the vision that we have, the things we were able to grow and have everybody grow along with it because it's it's just too hard to do it on your own. I mean, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to work 80 hours a week and 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 pat yourself on the back and just stay where you're at? You know, there's there's so much opportunity out there especially in today's environment. And and the people behind you, if you allow them to be open and honest and transparent, they should kick you out into the world and say go find more opportunities so we can all make this thing bigger. So you've done some acquisitions, it sounds like. Yeah, we we went into um, fire retardant chemicals uh, for construction. We went into, we did some uh, development, some home development, some land development, some office building stuff, and um, some investments and in other things that are kind of construction related. So 
yeah, it, it was it was just kind of extensions of what uh, we kind of knew. Like I, I wouldn't go out and try to like open a restaurant or something I know nothing about, right? But I, I, I found opportunities that were close to what we do. And um, we opened one more office of the type that we have about an hour and a half away from here. And, um, you know, it, it, it really worked out kind of good because we didn't, we didn't go too far out into the ocean without being able to get back. You know what I mean? So it was, um, it was a little risky, but without risk, there's no reward, obviously. So, but we all wanted to do it and we all wanted to grow the, make the, the you know, the pie bigger than it was. And, you know, so far so good. How did you go about the process? Did you work with a broker or an intermediary? Did you do the outreach yourself with your team? I just had kept my eyes open for opportunities. I mean, you were in a small town in Toledo, Ohio. And um, I kind of had, I mean, it, this was 10 years in. So I kind of had my ear to what was going on and around the city and, and, and around. And I just always kept my eyes open for opportunity because, you know, I believe that if you want something, you think about it hard enough, you vision it in your mind, even if you put it on a poster, draw it out and put it on the wall, your your mind is going to attract itself to that. Because I was talking to Jarek Robbins the other day, who's the son of Tony Robbins. And one of the things that he told me was that there was science behind what I've been saying for years now, which is the more that you stare at something, the more that you see it the faster those little neurotransmitters work in your brain to the point where your your mind convinces itself that it already owns that thing and then your body just takes over and creates a path to getting it really cool science so i just thought well this is what i really want bad i really want other opportunities to expand and they just started showing themselves because i was i was open to it and uh I'm not a special person. I mean, again, I'm no I'm no acquisition specialist by by any means. But I knew that there was you know what we could do that or we could get involved in that or we could help him finance that. And um they worked out pretty well. This episode is sponsored by the best-selling book, The Business Transition Handbook: How to Avoid Succession Pitfalls and Create Valuable Exit Options. Business owners will learn how to navigate the emotional and practical nature of the transition process to avoid exit regrets. It's crucial to start planning when time is on your side so you don't leave money or your happiness on the table. Reading this book, you'll have Lori Barkman, the business transition Sherpa, guiding you along the way. To download a free copy, head to thebusinesstransitionhandbook.com that's the business transition handbook.com today. That's great. I think from both sides of the table, right? This show, we cover both sides, buy side and sell side. And for owners who are hearing this and thinking, oh, maybe one day I could be, uh, I could be a fit for someone else's larger entity. What were some of the criteria that you looked at? Was it, let me look at their financials first. Let me look at strategic fit, you know, product services team. What were some of the main drivers of value that you saw? Well, in, in the chemical company, you know, I heard it, I heard a, a really successful investor tell me a long time ago, it's never the idea you invest in, it's the person, right? And um, because a great idea run by the wrong person is just going to stagnate. You're not going to get anywhere with it. So if you find a great idea and a great person, then you got something there. And when it came to the construction chemical business, 
there were things happening in the codes that were forcing builders to do these really burdensome things. I mean, crazy things that nobody wanted to do. And when this fire retardant chemical company came along, I, I knew that that could be a, a also ran kind of thing, which would eliminate this, this headache for all these people. And, you know, they say, if you can eliminate aggravation, you're going to become a wealthy person, right? <laughs> so that was one step. And the guy that um, I was partnering with, I knew was a really solid individual and he was really knowledgeable and he was really, um, he really, he was aggressive. He wanted to go make this business big and he did. So when it came to the, the development, though, that was a little easier because I just relied upon good old fashioned supply and demand. You know, you, you're talking about land that was near, it was adjacent to a lake and it had the opportunity for, for not only houses, but boat docks. There wasn't hardly any boat docks for sale anywhere and the supply was low. So, man, we hit the ground running there. I think we put up 10 houses in one year, sold them all and 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 we're finishing that development out now. But um, yeah, I, I think supply and demand is a huge thing. I, I've always said that, especially when it comes to working in the trades, if you're willing to do what everybody else isn't willing to do, you're gonna do really well, okay? And and for us, even in the business, our core business, I mean, to stand knee deep in sludge and <laughs> water and dirt and jackhammers and busted concrete, it's not everyone's willing to do that, but it's a necessary thing. And, you know, so far, so good. Yeah, absolutely. I want to talk about succession planning, a topic that on this show in particular, at most times we're looking in the rearview mirror. It's owners who have come on and they tell me about the story of how they built the company and then maybe how they sold it or they've transferred to their children, et cetera. And you're not in that point yet. You're still in the business, correct? You're still running the company. And I'm certainly not trying to make you uncomfortable, but I want to have this conversation because what I find is that it's a taboo topic, but my question is why, you know, why is it? And it shouldn't be, you know, just like you do strategic planning for your business, maybe you're doing strategic transition planning. And certainly that's what I advocate for. So in the areas that you're comfortable talking about, tell me a little bit of where you've spent some time with your team talking about succession, succession of management and or succession of ownership. First off, that's a great question. I mean, I've I've been on. I I told you I've been on a lot of podcasts. You know, we're we're closing in on two hundred of them. I've never been asked that question. That's a great question. I'm glad you asked it. Actually, so what what drives me towards the what I'm about to tell you is the fact that I have seen, and I know personally, three or four people that are. 60, 62, 63, 65 years old that have co contracting companies where one's a stonemason, one is a floor tile guy, um, one does landscaping. And um, these are awesome businesses, Laurie. I mean, awesome. These guys are making two, 300 grand a year, right? And they have no one to leave their companies to. I mean, they, they tell me all the time, I'm, I'm retiring, but yet I have this this golden goose right here and nobody wants it. And, and it just drives me crazy because if I was, if I was 30 or 40, I'd be all over these companies. Right. Um, so yeah, it, the, the, these guys have very valuable things and all you need is one young guy or one young gal to say, you know what, I'm going to take a stab at being that guy's or that gal's apprentice for the next three or four years. And then I'm going to take that thing over 
and I'm I'm going to have a I'm going to hit the ground running. I mean, these people have customers and a customer base, and they have re-ups and demands, and it's it, it's crazy that nobody wants these companies. So I, I see these guys suffering through these things, and um, I also have several friends that have done ESOPs in, in employee stock option plans. So we are in the process of actually looking at an ESOP now, where um, the people that helped me drive this thing for all these years can benefit greatly from it. So um, I, I think that's a really solid option. You know, I have other friends that have just outright sold their companies. You know, they're, they're, they're when interest rates were super low and money was flowing like crazy, you couldn't make any money in the stock market. You couldn't make any money in your bank account because, you know, they weren't paying any interest. But boy, I'll tell you what, if you could find a company that was knocking down 15 or 20 points, that was a valuable thing. So they were getting multiples that were unheard of to, to sell their company. So yeah, I, I'm thinking for me, it's going to be an ESOP scenario because I would still like to remain in, in some limited way and, um, and help the people behind me to, to realize even more of the dreams that they have. So. That's great. I'm so glad to hear that you've given it consideration and thinking about different options because we never know if this option A is going to work out. We need to have an option B and option C. Right. We have covered the topic of ESOPs on this show in particular with an ESOP attorney, Christy Bridge. If anyone listening wants to go back and find that in our show archives on my website, it's a great episode. And we, we've had others come on the show and talk about ESOP. And there's resources out there if anyone listening wants to understand if that's a good fit for their business. Your your business, Ken, is large enough with 200 employees where the demographics work out that not everybody is going to retire at the same time. That's really important. Right. And then another criteria for ESOPs is EBITDA. There's kind of a minimum because there's an administrative cost and time and effort and, and is the juice worth the squeeze, certainly in the transaction costs, but in general, and I know this is a, a big generalization, what I understand is that a sale to an ESOP, we're looking for a break-even on that transaction within two, three years. Is that about what you've seen from your feasibility study? Well, it's all over the place. I mean, I, I have friends that are in ESOPs that are going to get paid out over five. Um, you know, some vesting schedules are, are, I mean, most of the vesting schedules I've heard are five years uh, for the employees themselves. But you're, you're, you're correct in what you say. And this is what I like about it, because I get to now look downline and and see all of the people that are going to be coming up to take over different positions and see they can see their future now five ten fifteen years down the road and they can build value for themselves on that share price by increasing the value of the company so now you have people that again even though we have a 401k program already this is like a double double shot because now they can work hard to increase uh, the stock value almost like you know, stock price and GM would go up or down, you know what I mean? So that's a pretty exciting thing for us. And if if I think our plan is going to be over five years, but, you know, for me, you know, we have such a great time. We have such a great culture. We have such a great family feel around here that um, I'm, I'm in no hurry to run out, uh, certainly, but um, it'd be nice to see those folks, um, you know, increase their net worth a little bit as, as they move along. That sounds like a great option for your company, and I'm, I'm so glad to, to hear you're exploring it. When it comes to your business legacy and your personal legacy, what are some of the main things 
that you want to see continue forward? Well, personally, I, we do a lot of charity work. I mean, we're, we, we do um, things with Make-A-Wish. We do things with um, Boys and Girls Clubs and Junior Achievement and all that. And um, we, we, most of the charity work that we do, we do a lot of local stuff, too, that isn't nationally known. But most of the charity work that we do is is work where you're not just writing a check to someone and sending it off to Africa and wondering where the hell your money went, you know what I mean, and, and how it's being used. And, and we're doing things where we can see where the money goes, we can get involved in the processes, we can meet the people that are the receivers of this and encourage them and, and help them get their lives in a place where they want them to be. So we like to back fighters. I mean, it, you know, we, we're on our 13th Make-A-Wish child, I think, right now. And, you know, they're all fighters and they're all still hanging in there and they're living great lives. And um, it's really great to, to see those things happen because it gives you a sense and it gives the staff a sense of greater purpose. Like, you know, we work hard, we play hard, we make this money, but then what can we do to to turn around and give back and help others? So personally, I would want people to say, that guy was willing to share everything he had. I mean, he was willing to share his business with his employees. He was willing to share his money with the community. And um, I, I would want them to look at it from that perspective. I, I think from a from a business perspective, I, I would think I would want people to say, you know what? The, the guy worked hard. I mean, hopefully everything that he touched turned to gold and he was he was able to share that with a lot of people and change a lot of lives. And it doesn't always work out that way, but you know, again, I, I I've said it three times now. So far, so good. <laughs> well, and also you talked about visualizing. It's something you can really visualize, and the more you can make it happen, so you're making it happen, which is amazing. Ken, this is a mic drop question. Okay. When owners think about the success factors for an exit without regret, what are three recommendations that you have for them? I, I would say this without regret. I, I would say did you live the life that you wanted to live i mean did you did you did you um live your life in a way that you're not waiting till oh my gosh now i'm retired now i can start taking up golf did, did you live a balanced life the whole time that's that's a, the most important thing i would say number two i would say um were you able to turn around and say you know i walked up to the top of that mountain but i had some people that i took along with me okay and now look at i get to see on the other side and i get to see them standing at the top of the mountain i i think i think that's just unbelievable to to create wealth for people that have been with you the entire time and create success for them and and then finally i would just say were were you a good person with with your money and and, and did you help others and and can you point to a success where you changed even one life and um and made it better from someone who maybe you didn't even know their name or maybe you never even met them but you know for sure they're a better person because of you that's fantastic you wrote a book i'm sure there are many amazing quotes that you have that inspire you can but is there one in particular that jumps out that you'd like to share yeah it would be this one um we don't live to work we work so that we can live and um I'm more interested in what the live part looks like. So let's get let's get busy on that. Awesome. If people want to get in touch, learn more about your book, what's a great way to do that? You can go to KenRusk.com and you can see the book and the course that I built there. 
And um, you can also go at Ken Rusk official and you can see me on all the all the socials. Um, I, I'm, I have to admit, I have people help me do that because that's not my forte, but it's pretty cool. We've had a lot of fun on it. That's awesome. Ken, thank you so much for joining me on Succession Stories. I really appreciate you coming on. You're welcome. Have a great day. Appreciate it. Listeners, be sure to follow Succession Stories in your favorite podcast player and on YouTube and leave us a review. To learn more about maximizing the value of your business and planning for transition, sign up for our newsletter and book a complimentary call with me at thebusinesstransitionsherpa.com. Join us next time on Succession Stories for more insights from transition to transaction. I hope that today's episode resonated with you. What actions will you take as a result? If you want to grow, sell, or transition your business, our strategic transition planning process provides clarity and objectivity on the big questions that may be weighing on your mind. Make an intention and take the next step. Set up a complimentary consultation with me to discuss your goals at thebusinesstransitionsherpa.com. That's thebusinesstransitionsherpa.com.